We are looking together at 1 Samuel. And the issue of leadership is central to this book. In this book, we are presented with different human leaders, and we're also taught about God's leadership. We're taught what it means to be under God's leadership. And our passage this morning deals with an important question that's related to God's leadership. The question is this, can we always count on him? Will he always come through for us? Now, I suppose we might think we know the answer to that without thinking about it. But the passage we're going to look at will help us think more carefully about the answer to that question. We're going to look together at 1 Samuel chapter 4. In the Church Bible, that's page 274, and in the large print, 421. 1 Samuel 4, and I'll read the whole chapter. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, The Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They're the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching, because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli. 
who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see, he told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. For he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. This is God's word. In this passage, we see Israel apparently being let down by God. He doesn't seem to come through for them. And at least one Israelite comes to the conclusion that God has gone. Or as she puts it, the glory has departed from Israel. So as we look at this passage, we're going to ask the question, has God gone? This is a question you may have heard people asking about their own circumstances. You may have asked it yourself. You might be asking it today. This passage helps us with that question. The first sentence of the passage links us back to what we heard last time. Last week we looked at chapter 3. And chapter 3 began by telling us what Israel was like at this point in time. It was a place where the word of the Lord was rare. Spiritually speaking, it was a time of dark silence. But as chapter 3 progressed, things changed. God took the initiative in Israel. He broke the silence. And he called Samuel to be his spokesman or his prophet. By the end of chapter 3, Israel had the benefit of God's word. The pattern was the Lord revealed himself to Samuel and Samuel communicated the Lord's word then to all Israel. Chapter 4 begins by reminding us of that. And then suddenly, Samuel disappears from the scene. He doesn't reappear until chapter 7. And I think we are supposed to notice Samuel's absence. It's significant. It's not because he's gone to Saudi Arabia for a holiday. No, Samuel is still here. But Israel is not yet listening to him. Another way to put that is that God's word has come to Israel, but Israel is not yet paying attention to God's word. That has significance for all that happens in chapter 4. 
Then after briefly reminding us about Samuel, chapter 4 launches us into a crisis situation. The Philistines are lined up to fight Israel. We're not told who started it, but either way, this is a major problem for Israel. Now today, if we use the word Philistine, we tend to use it to mean someone who's a bit unsophisticated, a bit uncultured. So people say things like, I really don't like classical music. I'm a bit of a Philistine. But actually, in their own time, the Philistines were more sophisticated than Israel. The Philistines had arrived from the sea and they settled along the west coast of Israel. And for a few hundred years, these people were a significant thorn in Israel's side. The Philistines could make and craft iron. And Israel did not have that technology. And it's not hard to see what an advantage that gave the Philistines in battle. Iron swords or wooden swords? Which would you prefer? The Israelites are very definite underdogs. So it's not a big surprise when we read in verse 2 that the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? We might wonder who these elders of Israel are. Well, Israel was divided into 12 tribes, and these guys are the senior tribal leaders. At this point in time, the elders seem to be making the decisions in Israel. Apparently, Samuel is not being consulted. But the elders do ask a great question. Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today? The elders know who's really in control. Yes, the Philistines won, but the elders know that they won because God allowed them to win. The elders know God is the crucial factor here. They realize he's the one with the power. So far, top marks for the elders. And they're asking the right question. Why did this happen? Having asked that question, this would be a great time to listen to God's word, to consult Samuel. But instead, the elders decide they need to twist God's arm. They know he has the power, they just need to figure out how to get that power on their side. And they think they know just how to do it. In the middle of verse 3, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. What they're talking about is this. A box three and three quarter feet long and two and a quarter feet wide. It was made out of wood that was overlaid with gold. And it was a gift to them from God. I don't mean that it fell from the sky. The Israelites had made it, but they made it according to God's instructions. It was a symbol of his presence with his people. 
The figures on the top represent angelic beings, cherubim. And in the Old Testament, the ark is sometimes referred to as God's footstool. That's important because it shows the Israelites didn't treat this as a magic box. It wasn't a lucky charm in their minds. They knew that God was not contained in the box. He wasn't confined there. His throne is in heaven. And yet the ark was hugely significant. The elders refer to it here as the ark of the Lord's covenant. In other words, the ark is a sign of God's commitment to us. We are his covenant people. He is our God. All of that's true. But look what the elders do with that truth. They make a very big assumption. If we bring the ark to the battlefield, God will have to bail us out, won't he? Surely he would never allow the ark to be captured. Think what that would do for God's reputation. His enemies would think he was no God at all. Surely for his own honor, he'll come and give us the victory. At this point in time, Israel's view of God is that he is useful. He has power, and they reckon they have a way to harness that power to their advantage. So never mind listening to God, never mind worshipping him and honoring him, hopefully they can make use of him. And surely this kind of thinking is alive and well today. How much that goes under the name of Christianity today is built around this idea that God is useful. That's the selling point. How many Christian books and broadcasts are centered around what God can do for us and how we can get him to do it for us? Whether it's physical health or healthy finances, or a happy marriage, or a packed church. Whatever your agenda is, whatever you need, you can get it with God. He's useful in so many ways. And in the middle of it all, we can lose the truth that God is holy. That he is worthy of never-ending adoration. How easily we can forget that God does not exist to bail us out and patch us up and set us up. If he never gave us anything, he would still be worthy of all honor and glory and praise. So if you're interested in God because of what he can do for you, because maybe he can heal your dad or find you a husband or give you your best life now, if God's usefulness is what interests you, 
you're probably going to end up disappointed with God. Because sooner or later, you're not going to get something you want. In Israel's case, it happens sooner rather than later. They have the ark brought the 20 miles from Shiloh to the battlefield. And the ark comes with two minders. They're people that we've heard of before. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And when the ark arrives, the effect is amazing. The Israelite soldiers go crazy. They're pumped. They're so psyched up, they're ready to run through walls. And the Philistines go weak at the knees. The Philistines know at least something about the reputation of Israel's God. They have heard what he did to Pharaoh's army in Egypt. And as far as the Philistines know, Israel's God is in this box that's just arrived. Their commanders have a tough job coaxing them out of camp. Look at verse 9. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. The Hebrews is a derogatory name for the Israelites. Be men and fight. So the Israelites fought. The Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Well, that wasn't supposed to happen. The casualties are far heavier than in the previous battle, before the ark was brought out. What Israel has just learned is that God is working to his plan not ours. Israel thought God was good for bailing them out. They thought that was his job. If they'd listened to his word, they'd have known better. Verse 1 told us, Samuel's word, which was God's word, came to all Israel. And what was that word? It was at least in part a word of judgment. God had told Eli that his corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were going to be dealt with. They were scoundrels who had no regard for the Lord. In fact, they despised the Lord. And God promised they would both die on the same day. That was in chapter 2. In chapter 3, God repeated that word to Samuel. And Samuel repeated it to all Israel. If Israel had listened to that word, it might have dawned on them that God had an agenda of his own. They may have begun to think about more than just his usefulness. They might have considered his holiness. But instead, the elders have Hophni and Phinehas bring the ark. And they discover God is working to his plan, not ours. He will not be manipulated. His arm will not be twisted. His will will be done. 
Now we have to be careful here. The Bible assures us God loves to hear from his people. He loves to respond to the prayers of his people and bless his people with good gifts. He knows us and he cares about us. And his power is at work for our good. All that is wonderfully true. And alongside that, we have to grasp this truth. God's vision is bigger than ours. His plans are wiser than ours. And his plans come first, not ours. Of course, in the middle of our crisis, when it seems God has not been useful to us, we don't tend to think about any plans he might have. We tend to despair because ours have fallen through. That's what Israel does. When the ark had arrived at the battlefront, Israel shouted in triumph. And now, when one of the survivors arrives in Shiloh with the news, there is another uproar, we're told. But this time, it's a cry of absolute despair. We're told Eli has been sitting by the side of the road waiting because his heart feared for the ark of God. Eventually, the messenger gives Eli his report. And look again at the final verses of chapter 4, picking up at verse 18. When the messenger mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Now, it is completely natural that this woman is grieving over the deaths in her family. But her grief goes much further than that. She's grieving for Israel. As far as she's concerned, the loss of the battle and the loss of the ark is a sign that God has gone. Israel is abandoned. Something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. God's glory and power have been carried away. So she calls her son Ichabod. And the NIV has a footnote which tells us that name means no glory. Or another translation would be, where is the glory? Either way, the point she's making is, our plans failed. God didn't come through. God is gone. That's her perspective. 
But the writer of 1 Samuel wants us to see things from a different perspective. The verses we have just read contain a play on words. The word that's translated glory in verses 21 and 22 can also mean weight or burden. In fact, it's used that second way in verse 18. We're told that Eli was heavy. It's the same word. And yes, he was physically heavy, but he was also heavy in another sense. Chapters 2 and 3 told us Eli and his sons were a burden on Israel. They were supposed to lead Israel in the worship of God. But they were like a weight around Israel's neck. They were causing Israel to sink. Hophni and Phinehas were scoundrels who had no regard for the Lord. And Eli failed to restrain them. He allowed them to be a burden on Israel. Ichabod's mother thinks the glory has gone from Israel. But in fact, the burden has gone. What seemed like a terrible setback is actually a gracious act of God. God has removed the leaders who were leading Israel astray. He has cleared the way for Samuel. Samuel is the man who will lead Israel into God's future. The burden is gone, not the glory. Now, I'm not suggesting that every difficult thing that happens to us is the removal of a burden. But the lesson here is this. The failure of our plans does not mean God has gone. It may often seem that he's gone. Maybe you're wondering about this right now. Maybe you had high hopes for something, and it was something good. But it didn't happen. And you're wondering why God didn't come through for this good thing. Maybe God is challenging you. Have you been thinking of me in terms of how useful I could be to you? Is your devotion to me based on how well I fulfill your plans? If we view God that way, then we will often find him disappointing. But if we're willing to set our demands to one side and begin with God's worthiness, if we'll make his honor our first priority, if we'll commit ourselves to listen to his word, then we will begin to see And to grasp the heights of his plans. We'll begin to see he is working for our good. Even in our very deepest distress. Earlier we had a reading from Matthew's gospel. And in that passage the apostle Peter went through his own Ichabod crisis. I think we could call it that. First, Peter made a powerful, 
true statement about Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter recognized God's power in Jesus. And Peter had big ideas about what Jesus was going to do. The disciples could really go places with Jesus. But then Jesus told them he was going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter got angry. Never, Lord. What use will you be to us then? And later, in his frustration, Peter denied Jesus. As far as Peter was concerned, all his plans for glory were gone. They ended at the cross. But three days later, Jesus rose. He returned to his disciples and he gave them a message. In Jesus' name, they were to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Peter thought the glory had gone when Jesus died. But in fact, Peter's burden of sin had gone. By his death, Jesus paid for it and took it away. As Peter stood before the risen Jesus, he learned that God is working to his plan, not ours. He learned that the failure of our plans does not mean God has gone. To those who experienced the loss of the ark in Israel, and to those who watched Jesus die on the cross, it seemed the glory had gone. But in both cases, God was working for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. The God that we worship today is the God of the lost ark. He's the God of the cross. And he is the God of every disappointment you've been through. And he is still worthy of our trust and all of our worship. We're going to have an opportunity now to confess his worthiness and to recommit ourselves to serve his plans. We're going to do that as we sing, first of all, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then let your kingdom come.